Very good. Very good. There we are, just like on the radio. Are you already in there to play like this at radio station? Huh? <laughs> We've got the only... You know, one thing about this radio station is that uh, we pride ourselves on being... You know, you know the whole big thing about the camp bit of collecting uh, Tiffany lamps and wonderful old objet dot of... Uh, of a past and bygone era. Well, we here at WOR pride ourselves on being an actual camp radio station in that sense. We've got a wind-up turntable, which you'll very shortly hear, and we've got one of the very few wind-driven transmitters still in business. We have this big wind charger out there. You've wondered why we fade occasionally out there? Well, the wind dies down, and our wind charger turns over slowly, and our power goes down, and we get down there with the police calls and the test signals and little heterodynes down there and the slum end of the dial. Bring it up there. This is your camp radio station, fellas. Raz Matanz running to. Can you still hear me out there? <laughs> all right. You all set for tonight's Friday show, huh? Tonight's wham, bang, zippy, zowie, whoopee, hot, diggity, dog, Friday show. All right. Bring it on there. Oh. Take me out, take me out to the ball game of life, take me out to the world, take me where it's all happening right now, take me where existence is deep and runs like a great river down to the sea, take me out to the ball game, oh, I want to play third base, oh, and it's one, two, three strikes, you're out in the old ball game. Of life. Ta 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 Ball game of life. <laughs> Take me out to the park. Oh, gang, let's go in the good old summertime. In the good old summertime. Oh, that's very good. Take me out to the ball game of life. Uh, now, uh, of course, this is a loaded proposition. Uh, on any given occasion, when you approach... It, it, life, of course, is a very private situation. There's no... T <whistles> hey, excuse me, I want to get this thing more... Already in there? You <whistles> Getting all my instruments prepared here. Let's see. Uh, <clears throat> many of you don't know that you have to warm up a Jew's harp. Let's go here. Let's see. <whistles> Yeah, very good, very good. All right, let's say <clears throat> The old Jew's harp is working. Very good. All right, now I'll take a little sip of the coffee here. You're listening to the Martha Dean Show. Here we go. It's working out pretty good. All right, how do you see life, gang, huh? Do you see life this way? 
We are dedicating this portion of our life program to the Norman Vincent Peale contingent among us. Do you see life as one vast rhapsody of emotion and passion? Walking with your head high, your eyes to the clouds, under the brilliant sunshine of eternity. Rasmus, there ain't no trouble when a man don't see no trouble. There ain't no problems when a man don't know no problems. Oh, Rhapsody and Bloom. Very good, very good. That's one way of looking at life. And uh, I'm sure a lot of little old ladies uh, agree with me that that's one way of looking at life. Yes, I think life is just... Uh, that's the Bobsy twin approach to life. And, I, I, and you know, that's true. Don't laugh. That is one part of it is true. In short, when you're walking along, you know, and scratching and spitting and hawking... And, uh, you know, well, yeah, let's face it, you do that, too, walking along. And uh, life, you see, you see, it is, it's a big sort of a fruitcake, you know, and a big mulligatawny stew, something there, gigantic ball game. Well, you know, ball games, that, that's why I use the analogy of a ball game. A ball game is not only home runs. It's not only sliding into home plate with the winning run in the 12th inning. It is also dropping a fly ball. <laughs> you know, it is also dropping a fly ball in the eighth inning with three men on, and you're camped under it out there in center field, and you catch it in your uppers. You know, that's part of playing ball. It's also going up the bat there, you know, and kicking the dirt there, and there's two runners on. Your team is one run behind. There's a guy on third, and he's taking a lead off, and a guy on second's taking a lead off, and that pitcher's looking down there at you, you know, and he's got those beetle brows. And you go up to the plate, you know, and you kick the dirt, you start digging in, you spit on your hands, you put a little dirt on your hands, and pick up the bat, take a couple of kick swings, you know, like that, and you swing at the air, you look out at the scoreboard, and then all of a sudden the manager calls out of the dugout, Hey, Charlie, come on back, we're sending in Fred to pinch it for you. Holy smokes. I mean, striking out is one thing. I mean, popping up is another thing. But sending Fred in to pinch it for you, that's something else again, man. Something else again. Oh, so there's another view of life, friends. Oh, oh, woe is me. Oh, what a rotten drag. Oh, 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 life is indeed one long, one long bowl of lukewarm farina. And I am swimming my way through it underwater. Oh, woe is me. Life is one long... One long hand-wringing session. Oh, when will it be over? How long? Oh, eternal creator, how long? What have I done to deserve this? Mm. Ah, mm. Ah, that's another view of life, friends. Yeah, yeah. Well, someday, in some far-off nirvana, someplace, somewhere, I will find just a little measure, just a tiny soup son of happiness. Oh. That's another view of life, friends. And there are others. <laughs> oh, wow, are there others. Now, you see, this is where the fistfights begin, right there. Because the Rhapsody and Blue crowd... Every time they run into one of those, when they run into that crowd, fist fights start. At the, 
This, by the way, is the basis of the liberal conservative fistfight. <laughs> I mean, it's the basis of so many of these, these subtle little things like that. And, and then there is another crowd entirely. This is another group entirely here. They, oh, give me, uh, will you please, uh, what did I tell you in there? Oh, I'll tell you what, get, set up, uh, let's see. Uh, there's another type. There's another type. Oh, give me the chic. <laughs> that's another crowd. No, that's a, Leo, give it to you in there. It's very quick. It's not on that. She'll give it to you. If not, if you don't have the chic, after you've gone and not forgotten, that's another crowd. Uh, now, they're all, all, uh, if not, give me a whoopee song. It doesn't make any difference to what one you put on up there. These things are all interwoven. That's the difficult part of life. One minute, you're scoring the winning run. The next minute, you're dropping a fly ball out in deep center field right next to the scoreboard. And then there is that quiet moment when the lights are low. Oh, wow. And a chick comes whistling by riding on her new Harley Davidson 700cc. She goes whistling by with her leather jacket with her little mustache flying in the breeze. She's got her bullwhip out. And you know that true love has just come around 46th Street and is on your way. It's coming right down the street towards you with its mufflers right up. She has arrived wearing a fresh helmet. Oh, after you've gone and not forgotten. All right, that's enough of that now. That's it. That's another part of life, you see. And that's uh, the life as exemplified by Playboy. And there is no question about it. There are definite fistfights that break out between all those factions. Uh, the the, uh, the whoopee faction, who feels that life should be one long uh, creme de menthe, you know? One long, uh, yes sir, one long martini. Uh, one long whoopee. One long chasing after chicks. Or, you know, vice versa, vice versa. Uh, <laughs> uh, this crowd is constantly at, at odds with the... They're at odds with that crowd. Now, on the other hand, the... The Rhapsody and Blue crowd fight both of them. Because somehow, uh, the Rhapsody and Blue crowd not only eschew... Uh, the sadness, they also eschew passion. Kind of a nutty way. Uh, oh, yes, oh, yes, that clear, scrubbed look of uh, the people who wear the little badges, you know, that you see by great, in great crowds, the conventions that come here to New York constantly. Generally, a convention is held to convince the people who are in the convention that they are the most beautiful of all people. Oh, yes. <laughs> no matter what the convention is, the ex-con uh, convention of America is, is the same thing, too. You know that they have an organization? No, sirree. Ex-lifers of America. Yeah, they do. They really do. What do you mean, ex-lifers? A, a lot of guys have, you know, get a life sentence and then don't, uh, don't serve it. They get off. They, they send them out into the world and that. They form a little organization. And they themselves, they have a little convention. That's a genuine in-group. I'll tell you, <laughs> in more ways than one. <laughs> oh, man. And so so the, the conventions gather. Now, now, what is the whole point of this? On a Friday night, you see the crossroads come. On Friday night, this is where the cross... During our work week, most people during the work week are involved in their work, you know, and there is no... Uh, there is no view of life really involved when you're operating a big IBM number 738B. Uh, and this is... You can be a Rhapsody in Blue type... You can be a type, 
Or you can be, yes, sir, that's my baby type, but you're all working the machine. It's, that doesn't make any difference. All of a sudden, Friday, and they let you out. And that's when it begins. There is one crowd, the minute Friday hits, they are looking forward to choir practice. They are looking forward to Sunday school, and they are looking forward to the sound of the man that comes on. And everywhere I look, I see sin and degradation except my congregation. Yes, sir, everywhere I look, I see evil out there in that wide world except here, where we are the good people have gathered to look around and to see the evil that all them others are carrying to the bare doorstep of our little citadel of goodness. All right, they're looking forward to that. That's one crowd. Then there's the other crowd. Believe me, there is, the, believe, there is a crowd that the minute they're left out of work and they're not at the keyboard of the vast IBM machine that they operate, feel bereft. Are you aware that there are those who hate the weekend beyond all, beyond all measure? They are the floaters. Have you ever seen them on Sunday afternoon? Guys walking around with sort of gray shirts. And they will always wear brown pants and black shoes, or black pants and brown shoes. And they, they, they kind of drift through the streets of New York, and they, they wear a little gray fedoras, and they can hardly wait for Monday morning when they can get back to operating that machine, when they can forget for one brief moment. Life is like that, and you'll see them late. Late Sunday afternoon in the horn and hard night with their lukewarm coffee staring bleakly out on Broadway. These are the people to whom life is just a waiting period before the end. And then there is another crowd on Friday night. This is another crowd. Oh, wow. Yeah, anything you got in there, Dad. This is another crowd. They can hardly wait. About 2 o'clock on a Friday afternoon, their pulse begins to build up. By 3.30 that afternoon already, they're pawing at the ground. And by 5 o'clock, pow, the door opens. They're out on the street running. Their eyes flashing. Their mouth drooling at the, at the edges. Let's go, baby. Wow, wow. They are in the cockpit of the Ferrari of existence. Sailing ever upward and onward, bound out of their skull by 5.45, not to arrive back to hit the earth again until 7 o'clock Monday morning, or just five minutes before they have to get back in the old harness. Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! Oh, wow, it's Friday, gang. It's the race for fun. Will, will Charlie make... Will Charlie make the Parnassus of Fun this week? Stay tuned, friends, and find out. We will give you the answer in just 35 seconds. This exciting expose of life is coming to you from this, your life station. Your live station. W-O-R. A.M. and F.M. in New York. <laughs> F.M. You know what in the business those initials really stand for? I won't say any more. Will you please hit the money button in there, Uncle Charlie? Very good. <laughs> Miller Hut Pop and Pour Cans. Distinctive Miller Highlight in Pop and Pour Cans. 
Just pop and pour Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. No opener needed. And inside every can, enjoy the hearty yet light goodness of Miller High Life. Brewed from a century-old recipe, only in Milwaukee. Miller High Life always gives you that perfect taste in beer every time. Always a a little more taste. Unequaled, unquestioned, (laughs) unchanging. Now you can enjoy refreshing Miller High Life in pop and pour cans. Refreshing is a nice word to use. Pop and pour Miller High Life. Always sparkling, flavorful, distinctive. Now in pop and pour cans. Bop, bottom, razzmatazz. Have to tell you, you know, isn't it funny how we have a whole series of euphemisms for what uh, things really are? Euphemisms. Like, uh, for example, how many times have you seen these... Uh, deodorant commercials and it shows this girl and says is Sally unpleasant to be near and uh, <laughs> uh, you know speaking of that have you, have you ever wondered have you ever wondered how, how uh, what kind of fears people must have who who watch these commercials and who really go out and buy the stuff who really get concerned over it and worry about it have you seen the one where the poor guy is about to go to make a sale and uh, he's looking very worried, and he's walking around the house. You see him in the kitchen, and uh, his wife is saying to him, "Well, is it really that important?" Freddie says, "Yes." He says, "This is the, this is I've really got to make this sale. I'm really." And then suddenly the daughter arrives, this ponytail chick, and she says, "Daddy, there's something I wanted to tell you about your breath, Daddy." And we know that Daddy has never made it because all of his life he's been trying to sell. Gold bricks with bad breath. All of his life, this guy's been trying to to push this crummy product that he's been saddled with. But the reason he hasn't been able to sell it is because, well, honestly, friends, he, his breath withers the fern plants. Uh, <laughs> and 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 here his his sixteen year old daughter is telling him this, and, and we see him now leaving uh, leaving the house. He is now sparkling and clean. And for the first time in, the, in, in, in memory, this house, uh, the air is not blue when he leaves, you know. He gets into his car, and he takes off, and we see a little quick cut, and we see him arriving back home. Have you seen that one? And he says, come here, Debbie. I did it again. So, oh, Daddy, I knew you would. We've all got a secret, haven't we, Daddy? <laughs> yes. <laughs> his breath smells like Ipana or something. But the thing, the thing that uh, I've, I've wondered about is I wonder how many people think secretly that the reason they haven't made it is because they're fat. Or the reason they haven't made it is because, yeah, really, there's a lot of them. Or, or their breath is bad. Or they're, you know, any one of a million things. And these guys are playing like some, like some diabolical, uh, uh, some, some Cassandra on their, on their poor, weak fears. Da, da, da. You get the right deodorant, man, and you'll go all the way. Da, 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 da. You use the right toothpaste, and da, 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 da. you'll make it, boy. You drink the right beer. Don't order the wrong beer in the bar. The guys will realize then you're just a clutch. Da, 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 da. Don't get bagged on the wrong whiskey. Da, 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 da. Oh, yeah, have you noticed that hardly any of those whiskeys ever even mention the fact that it can do that to you? No? Uh, all they do, they, they advertise themselves to say some, such things as uh, smoother. <laughs> yes, indeed. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. And, or soft. They're always supposed to be. And, and, and so nothing, this is kind of like just a little, just a kind of a, like a little jazzed up Pepsi-Cola. A little bit there, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, we, 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 really, we really spend most of our time brushing things under, under the carpets. And uh, uh, love stories, another thing. This is, this is another, another fascinating uh, side of brushing things under the carpet. When we, when we go to movies, you know, almost every movie today, no matter what it is, has as its basis uh, an involvement of a man and a woman. Uh, it does. There's no question about it. No matter what the, what the movie's about, it can be about the, the, the Crimean War, it can be about uh, space flying, it, it can be about World War II. You know, I was surprised to find out when I saw the, the longest day, I was surprised to find out that really uh, World War II was actually a kind of a big love story. That kind of surprised me. It really surprised me. You know, I, I got left out. You know, <laughs> while on the subject of that getting left out, when people watch these, these romances, as they, you know, the, you, you see the romance uh, on the screen, uh, Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor are there, or uh, if, if you're an old movie nut, Jeffrey Lynn and Priscilla Lane show up. Uh, now there is always, almost in every in every one of these love stories, there is there are the other people who uh, have no lives of their own, nor loves of their own, or you know, if, the, if it is a kind of a nutty, it's kind of a silly one. You know, it's like uh, Eve Arden is making the scene with Jack Oakey, <laughs> and it's kind of ridiculous. You know, <laughs> that's a silly thing. And in the last scene, uh, she, Eve Arden looks at Jack and says, "Well, we might as well get married too, right?" And then he looks at the camera and says, well, yeah, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> and uh, there, there's this kind of a silly, nutty, you know, it's a ridiculous uh, kind of little thing. And we know that it's just for fun, Phil. Now, uh, I wonder how this feeling goes through people's uh, minds, how, how deep it is. Uh, this idea that there are lovers and then there are buffoons. Uh, and and the the involvement that the buffoons have is a buffoon involvement. Uh, <laughs> uh, have you ever have you ever seen have you ever noticed that uh, in in movies today it is considered very very bad taste if people are having a romance who are over eighteen. <laughs> you know, oh yeah, I mean, this is this is not the romance. It's, it's kind of love in September sort of thing, a last grasp of romance. Uh, Gambit, you see, that jazz. Have you have you have you followed this this thing? Well, now this is an extension of the earlier bit that was evidenced in the movies of the 30s. If you watch the old movies, you'll find the same scene, only it's played differently. Uh, instead of it being uh, a September romance, you know, kind of thing with uh, with uh, with Walter Brennan or somebody singing, Oh, in September, da 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 da. La ta ra tia 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 ra tia 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 ra tia tia. You know, in the in the 30s movies, they treated it that that in the buffoon sense. Uh, for example, when Jeffrey Lynn w met Priscilla Lane in the big scene in the second, you know, when he comes running, he got his tennis racket and he's got those white pants on, he's got that shirt open at the, and he's got his wavy hair. He says, "Why, hello, who are you?" And uh, she looks at him. She says, "Well, none of your business." And the music goes, "Ba tia tia." You know, this is it. See, well, now her best girlfriend, who is always kind of ugly, uh, her best girlfriend is either played by Jane Withers 
or by Eve Arden. Now, his, his best friend is usually some buffoon like Jack Oakey. Uh, Clark Gable went through 45 movies with a klutzy friend. Uh, you know, like Wallace Beery. Wallace Beery is his klutzy friend. Uh, <laughs> and, and Wallace Beery is always having a romance with somebody known as Panama Lil. And uh, Panama Lil was, was the klutzy woman. You see, and, and their romance was just kind of buffoonery, you know. So in the end, the real romance, uh, that is uh, Clark Gable and Myrna Loy, when they finally decide to get married in the end, uh, way in the last scene, you know, they say, well, you know, Blackie, he's always Blackie, he says, well, baby, I guess we might as well get the knot tied, huh? <laughs> and uh, she says, yes, yes. And the music is, then you see the next moment, this is the way they always ended those pictures. Eve Arden looks at Jack Oak and says, well, what are you looking at, big boy? And he says, well, gee whiz, ah, we might as well do it too, huh? What do you say, huh, baby? And she says, well, I don't know. And then Clark Gable looks at Myrna Loy with a twinkle in his eye and says, well, even the monkeys do it, you know. <laughs> Even 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 the turtles do it. So well, let's let's humor them. And in the end, that little note of humor ended the picture. Well, now uh, I'm I'm curious how deep this attitude goes in us, in deeply within our our framework. Do we think that there are some people who really live life, who ge who have the genuine romances, the Romeo and Juliets? I think this began with Romeo and Juliet and even what before that, who have the romances. In other words, Romeo and Juliet are really in love. All these other klutzes that are just having the, the, the sword fights, you know, and running around the balconies and yelling and hollering at each other, they're just a cast for these two genuine lovers. Now, how many people feel that life is like this? I'm curious about that. I bet there are a lot of them. I bet most people, in fact, I, I would say probably 99% of the people feel that they're in the supporting cast of existence. And uh, they've got a little tiny featured role, and their particular romance or their involvement was kind of silly. Now, now, I'll even carry this further. I think that it is necessary for us to have a myth of that kind, a genuine myth. This is true mythological uh, dealing where, where we, we've got to believe that romance is more than what we have. <laughs> We've got to believe that life is more than what we've got. And somewhere, somebody is living it. And so, a guy named Shakespeare sits down and says, yeah, that's true. I mean, did Shakespeare think of his, himself, his involvement with the women in his life, as being like Romeo and Juliet? Or did he consider himself just one of that great crowd, you know, in the where it says crowd scene, crowd gathers outside the palace and hollers, oh, 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 hooray, Romeo, hooray, 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 Juliet, oh. Uh, does, does he consider himself that? Yeah, I, I suspect so. And, uh, and I've, I've often wondered about this thing. I watched A Ship of Fools the other night, for example. And, uh, and, and it was, I, I've read all the reviews all the reviews of, 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 of Ship of Fools. And here, the, 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 the part that was given the biggest amount of applause was Oscar Werner and Simone Signore going through this thing, and they're having this romance. Well, the way it was written up, when I, when I read this thing, uh, you know, the reviews about this, it was written up as though it was one of those beautiful, tender, 
last grasp at romance, sad, defeated, uh, kind of hopeless, silly things that very old people sometimes get involved with. Well, in the picture, he was 41 and she was 40. Now, <laughs> that's what, th the point being, this is the way I suspect we look at life, that life is over by 25. And that anything that happens after that is a last grasp at existence and is sad and defeated from the beginning. See what I'm saying, Jimmy? Seriously. No, I, I'm, I'm saying that, that our, our fictional life looks at it that way. Our fictional life. Oh, yeah. I don't, I'm no, in our real life, we don't. I'm talking about the fictional life. Now, which is the real attitude is the only question I'm asking. Do we think our life is a biological sport, I mean, each an individual's life, do we think that we're not really the same as those people on the screen? Well, then what is this hogwash on the screen? Yeah, that's right. That's what it is. <laughs> hogwash. <laughs> and, and, you know, the, 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 the ironical fact of it all is, in real life, people go ape over the real thing. For example, I hope you know that Richard Burton is far in excess of 41. You know that. Now, if, if the Richard Burton-Elizabeth Taylor romance were to be played with their real ages, that would be a sad, last, last grasping at a poor autumnal romance jazz, because Elizabeth Taylor ain't 19 either, gang. Uh, now, now, that's the only curious thing that I'm trying to bring up here. I'm trying to say that in, in real life, we have one set of attitudes, and in the fictional life, we have an entirely different set of attitudes, and yet the, 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 the critics somehow applaud the fictional attitude as being realistic. They, they, they said this is a realistic thing they, they talked about. And, and, and believe me, are, are you aware that, well, I could go, I could go even further than that, but uh, the, the whole concept of the fictional life, as it's portrayed in our series. Now, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about the, the you know, I think in many ways in the light fiction uh, that we do, we often approach reality far more really, genuinely. Uh, we approach reality far more than we do in the heavy-handed stuff that is supposed to be serious. Uh, for example, I saw, I, I have never seen anything as silly as the characters in, in this Ship of Fools. Uh, for being true clowns. I thought, you know, I thought this is a camp movie. It must be. They had a ball player, for example, in there who was unrecognizable as any ball player could ever be. You know, <laughs> Lee Marvin, by the way, does not play any recognizable human being. He is about as realistic as Charlie McCarthy uh, ever was. Was Charlie McCarthy a real person? That's a good question. Was Donald Duck a real person? That's right. <laughs> All right. Now, 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 now you're getting into something, some really deep water here. You know, there, there's a whole study of that. There's a, uh, the symbol, the symbolic, the study of symbolic communication is really a complex study. What people recognize out of various symbols. Elsie the cow now. Here's a good example of Elsie the cow. This is anthropomorphism, of course, in its grossest form. But have you noticed there's a call on TV where Elsie walks around in the in a supermarket? Have you seen that thing? There's a little cow walks around the supermarket, and they've cleverly you know you know you know how cows are built. 
I mean, you know about cows, don't you, friends? Well, they've changed the way cows are built, and they've moved her machinery to another part of her body. Uh, <laughs> and Elsie is the first is the first cow, as far as I know, to walk up and down the frozen food section wearing a maiden form bra, and in the right place. Now, now, this this no, this, I'm not being facetious here. I'm bringing up a very interesting point. What do we see in Elsie? Why is Elsie such a a, a, a moving character. By moving, it is a character that people all recognize uh, as being somehow very significant. Elsie is a symbol, uh, a symbolic character in our world, just as in the days of the ancient Greeks. They had symbolic characters, too, which meant uh, fertility, uh, which meant the hunt and various other things. Now, now, have you noticed that we have a fantastic predilection towards electing queens in our country? Uh, like, uh, you know, the uh, pro football queen. Uh, there's, the, uh, there's the national canning queen. Uh, there's uh, stuff like uh, the, they even had uh, recently up in, up in Kennebunkport, Maine, they had uh, the city dump queen. They really did. They, they elected a queen of the city dump. Well, what is, the, what is the symbolic reason for electing a queen who comes out uh, in the middle of the ceremony and she has a little crown and, she, and it's always a woman. They don't elect the king of the city dump. They hardly ever elect the king of pro football. Uh, or, you know, they never do. This is never, if ever, is, it, is I have never even heard of it. Now, I'm not going to be generalizing here too much, but I don't recall that happening. Uh, and if they do elect the king, he is only to stand beside the queen, who really is the ruler uh, of this situation. And you know, when you when you're in radio you, uh, or television, you see a lot of stuff. In fact, uh, I'd say probably on an average of any average week, uh, you you may get uh, four and a half tons of promotional material <laughs> that's sent to you, and, you're, and and it's always offering 18 million people to be interviewed. And out of these people that are interviewed, uh, I would say a good three-quarters of them are women who have been selected to represent a certain thing or another as the queen of this or the, or the, the queen of that, the cotton queen, the wool queen, the canning queen, the corn queen, the queen of the fair, the queen of the may. And uh, they're constantly being interviewed about uh, their queenship uh, and somehow... Uh, everyone is vaguely impressed when they walk into the studio. It's fascinating to see that. The, the, yes, a, a totally unknown girl who will be called the, the queen of no-cal beverages <laughs> or something, or the beauty queen or the talent queen, any kind of queen. When they walk in, everyone vaguely feels that she really is some kind of a special person, even if she's been elected by three little grubby PR men in a phone booth. Uh, that, that she, the, the minute they use the word queen, that is a loaded word. Now, have you noticed that Elsie almost always wears a tiara of one kind or another? You notice that? Look very carefully. You'll see it's got a little, yeah, it's got a little queen thing on there. And, and this, too, is part of that, that, symbolic, that symbolic community that we have with each other, always. Now, now I, I submit, too, that in our movies, in, in most of our movies, at least, this this uh, this image, this dream of of youth running free, uh, kicking up its heels and enjoying nothing but kicks and fantastic, wild, uh, uh, wonderful, uh, unbelievable, passionate romances, is as much a myth 
as Elsie the cow is a myth. Have you seen, uh, well, a good example, have you seen the knack? Now, this is an example of that kind of myth going on and, and being perpetuated and carried on and on and on and on. The Beatle movies are part of that myth, too. Uh, the myth that, that, uh, that there is a... And by the way, it, the, the strange thing about it is that the youths who are uh, purportedly being, uh, I should really say, purportedly being reported on, look upon these movies with the same kind of, of dazed feeling of being left out as the average 74-year-old looking on that movie feels left out. This is all part of that same mythological thing. I'm sure that many a kid who goes down to see uh, uh, one of these one of these frolicsome romance these beach pictures. Have you seen those? This is part of the myth too. Uh, fantastic uh, uh, <laughs> Annette uh, Fanicululi or whatever her name is, and, uh, and Nancy Sinatra, and all these people who are constantly doing the business on the on the on the beach, you know, and all these bronze demigods, you know, the, the wavy hair and the whole business, dunga, 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 the movie back and forth. Well, I can I can just see 18 million uh, New Jersey diner Martys who are all in that age that age range who should you know who apparently are being reported on in these movies. Now, I, I, and one other question that I have to ask in this in this uh, context, I whether whether or not a lot of comments that are being made about youth, for example, uh, and the kind of life they lead, has nothing to do with the actual youths that people see, but have to do with the mythological youth that is portrayed in screen and in fantasy. That's just a question. Now, the kind of fantasy that I'm talking about, uh, have, you, have you ever seen these, these shows on TV? One network, incidentally, has discovered sex as a commodity. And uh, it, it uses, I'm, t I'm talking about television, and it uses sex in any possible variation that it can get. Uh, it's got Peyton Place, it's got the Slattery's people, it's got, it's got William Faulkner, it's got Hullabaloo, Whoopee, and all this jazz, see? And it's all a variation of sex of one kind or another. Now, have you ever watched any of the shows called Hullabaloo and that? Well, you see these guys up on the stage, you know, up on the stage, they're doing the thing, and the, the chicks are all dancing, but there is a great mob in the background of gapers just looking. That's the real youth. That's the genuine youth who have, who, uh, by the way, who apparently are being I think the critics often confuse the performers and the role they're playing with what they prepare, uh, are, are reporting on. Don't confuse, for example, Elvis Presley, if you want to take it into an earlier age. I think people confused Elvis Presley with the poor klutzes who came to watch him, you know, whose idea of a really big time was a hamburger. You know, with, with, with double piccalilli. That was going all the way out. You know, the poor guys, they never, they were just watching, you know. And now, I, I, now, and if you think, if you think I'm going pretty far out, what if, say, for example, what if, what if, uh, you know, when we see, when we see, uh, youth portrayed on the screen, like the Beatles, we see, we see all the, uh, all the, the beach party and stuff, and people will really write long letters, they write long editorials in Life magazine about modern youth and all this stuff. Well, what if we were to report on modern adulthood as being an offshoot, say, of Ingrid Bergman and, uh, say, uh, Tony Perkins? 
Is that the way adults are? The way they are in the movies? Is it? Uh, is, is it the way Richard Burton and uh, Elizabeth Taylor are in the movies? I'll ask you a question. Is, uh, is Richard Burton and Elizabeth Taylor that way in life? Well, I can tell you, because I, I, I'm, I'm a little close to that kind of world, no. <laughs> Believe me, their feet hurt too. <laughs> no, it really does. And, 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 and you, just, you just don't... Uh, that mythological, that whole, that whole thing, that, that, that's one of the reasons why the, the more a performer... I'll tell you this is a little in-secret of showbiz... The more a performer makes himself inaccessible to his audience, the greater will be his following. Inaccessibility is the real key to it. Uh, and, and, and many a performer has forgotten that, you know, so he, he uh, does nothing but uh, walk around the crowd and argue with them and all that. Next thing you know, he's, not, he's no god. <laughs> you know, forget it. Uh, the, and the fact that you can't reach out and touch Burton, you can't talk to Elizabeth Taylor, makes them 40 feet tall, maybe a 1,000 feet tall. That's part of the mythological. And, and if you can create a character that is totally logical, then it assumes gigantic proportions. You can't imagine. I, I suspect that the greatest film stars of the past 65 years have been Mickey Mouse... Donald Duck, and possibly, uh, possibly Porky the Pig. Because these creatures, you see, have no feet of clay. Uh, they don't grow old. They don't wake up with a busted head. They don't have problems with a bad knee. They don't wind up uh, down on 42nd Street in the unemployment office. They just go on and on. I'll see the cow never grows a day older. Not a day. Elsie goes on. And they're, they're all part of that symbolic communication. That's why you can never imagine George Washington waking up in the morning, looking in the mirror and says, Oh, I've got to go through all this father of the country business again. Oh, never. He is a myth now with us, just the way Donald Duck the way Mickey Mouse, the way Porky the Pig is a myth and will go on and on and on. That's what makes it hard to be a contemporary politician. It takes 150 years to become mythological. You know, Kennedy is far more of now than he was when he was alive. Oh yeah, the very people who hate his guts now have little pictures hanging and all kinds of things. The mythological world, I think, is far stronger in us than the real world. And I suspect we prefer it. Keep your knees loose, Skinny. This is uh, Donald Duck signing off. I'll be back next week, folks. Goodbye. Wah, 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 wah. Quack, quack, quack.